0: My name is Richard Brown, and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. For those of you who tune into some of my social media channels, I can just tell you that it's approaching nine o'clock, and uh, let's just say the creative juices are flowing, and uh, you know what I'm talking about. Of course, if you don't tune into my social media channels, then you've absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, so I'll just leave it at that, and perhaps you need to check out my social channels to make sense of that. But thanks for joining me on the show today. What I thought I'd do is do a quick follow-up to last week's uh, show, uh, where I talked about the three F's of how to profit through property. And the three F's were summarized as forcing the discount, forcing the appreciation, and forcing the yield. And I threw in there a bonus one that we get natural capital appreciation over time if we're fortunate, but don't bank on it. So that's a bit of a recap there. So what I thought I'd do this week is just drill down into forcing the appreciation just a little bit more. And uh, I thought I'd start by talking about uh, 10 ways to add value or force the appreciation in in property. Uh, I might then refer you to uh, one of the metrics that I I tend to use when I'm looking at that kind of equation. I call it return on works investment. And then I will return because... um, Forcing the appreciation is often considered when we first acquire a property, uh, something new, and we undertake some kind of project. But equally, we can apply some of these principles to our existing portfolio. And I've got another three for you. It's the three R's this time, so maybe I'll come back to that a little bit later. So a few things to cover off in the the show, so let's get cracking. So first of all, uh, 10 ways to add value or force appreciation in property. Not in no particular order, <laughs> but number one, and possibly the easiest one, is to, is what they call prettify the property. Make it look nice, in other words. And we can do this with some internal decoration or even external de- decor, in, which might include the garden, and that can increase its curb appeal. And whilst they're not, you know, massive changes, but it can make quite a difference. There's nothing as off-putting as seeing a, a tatty old garden or, you know, stains on floors and you know on walls from damp you know that's been repaired even but it's just still there inside a property um even just clutter can actually make a difference and can you know it's beauty's in the in the eye of the beholder as it were so you can walk into a property um hopefully what we're talking about here is getting the valuer if we're refinancing or getting a a purchaser if we're selling that property to just be able to easily visualize what it would be like for them to live there Hopefully, there'll be little work to do, so they'll pay that premium. And um, it's funny, actually, because just uh, just recently, I've, I've agreed to sell a property I bought. Um, it was one of the first properties I actually bought um, a few years ago now, about 10 years ago, and I prettified the property. So I bought this property. I just decorated it, including a few feature walls and things like that. Didn't really do anything else. Didn't do any major up, upgrades or updating. Um, it was a fairly new build house when I bought it and uh, one of the reasons I was able to get it actually forcing the discount was because it was a new build but it didn't have any sort of NHBC certificate and uh, usually that means that you know you couldn't sell that property to someone else within the first 10 years unless you've got some sort of new build warranty that you can offer with the property and that was the case with this one. So I, I managed to uh, practice with the first F which is forcing the discount. And as far as the second effort is concerned, um, I, I did a, uh, a cosmetic you know, update, you know, literally painting and decorating the property. I think there was maybe one or two floors that needed to be uh, just updated, but I spent about £4,500 on prettifying the property. It's a four-bedroom detached house, so 4500 is a drop in the ocean, really, on a property of that kind of nature and size. And um, I think the figures from memory, I, I paid about 142000 and I got it revalued just a few months later for 195,000. So um I think there was to be fair a, a combination of some discount going in because of the lack of a new build warranty and equally the um uh, you know cosmetic <laughs> refresh or the prettifying of the property combined managed to increase the value quite significantly in that particular case. So did quite well. And in fact I've uh, agreed to sell that property more recently. And I'll come back to that because <clears throat> the reason I agreed to sell it or decided to sell it in the first place is that I, um, the, the yield relative to the capital growth was out of kilter, and I thought it was a good time to cash in. Um, equally, the property is outside of my normal area, so I always look at these things and decide, is it, is it a good opportunity perhaps to, um, if the value has gone up significantly, maybe to cash out, uh, realize the profit before it gets too out of whack, if, as it were, in terms of capital gains tax and things like that. So that's what I did. So that's the first one, prettify the property. The next one, number two, is, um, I've just casually titled kitchens and bathrooms, excuse me, kitchens and bathrooms sell houses. And um, really, you know, remodeling or replacing a kitchen can actually have one of the, one of the best, you know, uh, returns on investment in the fastest time. You now it's not the best way to add value to a property, but it's one of the quickest ways to add value to a property. Um, who wouldn't like a new kitchen or a bathroom? Uh, Or if I put it the other way around, um, what's one one of the most off-putting things is seeing an ugly dated kitchen or bathroom when you go into a property and you're already thinking, oh no, I've got to do something to that. It's going to cost a lot of money and uh, and so on and so forth. So kitchens and bathrooms sell houses. Not only do they increase the sort of appeal, but uh, they actually add a bit of ROI as well. So you can do it in a pretty quick period of time. So and of course you, you don't need to sell it, you can refinance it and keep it, and so uh, updating the kitchen and bathroom is a good way of doing that. The next one, number three, is um, what I call increase the usable living floors or, or floor space. And here what I'm talking about is um, is extending or converting to add value to a property. Uh, and this can think, you know, just think about extensions, think about loft conversions and conservatories. They're the kinds of things I'm talking about here. So you're actually adding usable living space into the uh, into the property. Some of it, of course, is within the footprint, such as the loft conversion, but an extension or a conservatory is adding to the footprint of the building as well. And what what I suggest you do is if you're looking in your target investment area, is have a look at the houses that have got extensions and conservatories and loft extensions and do a comparison of those types of properties against the the ones that don't. And then you'll, you'll understand what the value add potential is. And of course, you can work out the cost and therefore you can work on, I've already given the game away to my returns on work investment or works investment. Um, sums or calculation that I tend to perform as well, so uh, increasing the usable living or floor space is actually one of the best ways to to add value to a property in fact. Number four is um, you know, I've, I've called it upgrade and refurbish. Now, obviously, some of the elements I'm talking about are part of that process anyway. If you decorate or you put a new kitchen in, then you are upgrading or, or refurbishing the property. But in this particular example, I'm actually talking about replacing what I call the guts of the property. So this is the plumbing, the gas central heating and the electrics, that kind of thing. And so, if we can bring it up to current standards, we can maybe, you know, improve the energy rating. For example, that's going to be a relevant thing over the time um, in the next few years. You probably talk, heard about the consultation about the EPC ratings going to going to C, I think it is, rather than E as it is now. So um, it will actually add value to your property in in the long run. But in the short term, actually, it does too. Because um, especially if you're if you're keeping the property, it'll reduce your maintenance costs. It'll reduce the running costs for the owners. And uh, people like to go into a property knowing that all of this is updated as in place and it does have a value. It's perhaps not as obvious a value increase as say replacing the kitchen or the bathroom or prettifying the property, obviously, uh, or indeed adding an extension, but it does count and you can list these things and it it counts especially with valuers, by the way. So um, valuers, you know, not so turned on with painting a wall, but uh, they are with uh, perhaps you know, replacing the gas central heating, for example, they can, they can see a real value add in that respect. So I think it works particularly well if you're trying to get a value uplift on refurbishment projects. Um, of course, it can work on, on flips as well, but um, perhaps sometimes you don't necessarily need to do all of this on a flip. So I think it works best, actually, with a refurbishment project. The next one, number five, is uh, what I call remodel and reconfigure, and this is uh, unlike increasing the uh, ex- uh, the living space by adding an extension, which was a third item. In this case, what I'm doing is using the existing footprint in, in, a, in a cleverer way. And so, for example, um, you might have seen maybe sometimes you've gone up into a into a property and you've looked at you know it's a three bedroom property according to the details and you have kind of looked at bedroom two and bedroom three and thought. So, well, they're, they're pretty average or even small-sized bedrooms. It doesn't kind of make sense. And one of the clues to what I'm about to say is where the windows are often positioned. And, and often if you've got a large bedroom, some people put a partition wall in and split it into two bedrooms. Uh, but it might be a, a, you know a small, double and a single at best. Um, and, and all they're really doing is just creating an extra bedroom. And, but believe you me, um, sometimes with residential properties, it's not the actual floor space that uh, adds value. It's sometimes the number of bedrooms. So um, a bit like I was talking earlier, looking at properties where they've got, uh, you, know, you can look at where there's an extension or a loft conversion, for example, uh, compared to where it doesn't. In this case, if you look at maybe a three-bedroom versus a two-bedroom or four-bed versus a three-bed, and just see why right, by adding an extra bedroom what what difference might it make so there's there's other there's other elements of this you know you can convert the garage as well maybe you can add an on ensuite to a bar uh, to excuse me to a bedroom so uh, maybe you can relocate the bedroom um upstairs if it's in an old terrace house on the on the or you know bolted onto the rear which you often see of course so uh, just remodeling and reconfigure could actually add value, but do your sums as always. This is an interesting one. Number six, I call it retargeting the the marketing of the property. And what I mean here is that you you go and look for properties which are incorrectly marketed. They're being sold in the wrong place. In other words, so an example of this is if you um if you go to an auction and you find a property that's done up, well, that's in the wrong place really. Uh, a property that's already done up should really be sold on the open market, um, and a property that needs work usually sold on the auction. Of course, both you know both things can apply. but um, if you start to see a done up property in an auction, maybe a lot of investors and developers are not really looking for that kind of thing. So it might be an opportunity to arbitrage uh, buy it at the auction and, and maybe sell it onto the open market instead. And there's a couple of other examples like um, look for buy uh, for sale by owner listings uh, because there's perhaps less competition there. Um, If they're not listed on Rightmove, for example, they're not necessarily going to have the same number of eyeballs on them as they will on, on say, Rightmove or Zoopla or on the market. Um, Look at maybe bulk buying, bulk sales. So uh, buy an existing portfolio or buy a block and then break it up. That's another way of doing it. And another one I thought was uh, really interesting is to kind of deliberately distress a property and then put it through an auction. So um, as I mentioned earlier, we've uh, done up properties being found in auctions. Well, you know, investors and developers are usually looking for a wreck in an auction. So if you take a property that, you know, it's not too bad, you can distress it, uh, board up the windows and uh, strip it out, for example, and then put it in an auction, you might be surprised actually, the result you might get that way. So number six is retarget uh, the marketing of the property. Number seven is to, look out for and then fix structural issues or problem issues with a property. So here what I'm talking about is things like subsidence, Japanese knotweed, uh, insect infestations and that kind of thing. In fact I recently looked at a property that's um, got, in, in fact the property itself doesn't have Japanese knotweed. It's uh, it neighbors on a, uh, a church and the grounds and there's Japanese knotweed uh, that's been identified in the church grounds and uh, there's a treatment plan that's underway it takes five years to currently you know to get rid of it properly um, and and that program is underway in the church grounds and this property we were looking at is next door so it's not even directly affected by the japanese knotweed but it has actually put people off because you know japanese knotweed is pretty aggressive and it'll put off your average homeowner it's actually not that difficult to deal with you can put a program in place uh, and in this particular, you know, example, there isn't actually Japanese knotweed there. The only snag is you might not get a mortgage on it. So you do need to think about how you're going to finance the property um, in the intervening period. And of course, you've got things like subsidence, which you can correct with things like underpinning uh, and the infestations as well. So uh, fix structural and problem issues is number seven. Number eight is to change the use or indeed the valuation method. And we, again, we're playing kind of arbitrage, but from a valuation point of view here, we're not buying and selling, we're just you know changing the way in which it's valued. So uh, an obvious example is changing it from say retail or commercial uh, property where there's you know probably uh, already a number of these on the market now and there's going to be increasingly so over the next uh, few months or so uh, into residential. So often residential valuation on a a cost per square square foot basis is higher than, say, retail. Obviously, you need to find the right type of property in the right location to get that kind of uh, arbitrage play, but that's one example. Um, Another example is converting it from, you know, what I would call bricks and mortar residential valuation. The valuers always hate me for saying that, but I think you and I both know what I'm talking about when I say the bricks and mortar value, and instead converting it into an investment value instead. So an investment valuation is basing it on its income stream instead of basing it on its bricks and mortar or its resale value on the, on the, on the residential market. And this is particularly useful in, in, you know, with, with, say, HMOs or holiday lets, for example, which can be revalued in, uh, in a different way based on its income stream. So that was number eight. Number nine is um, legal gains. So here what I'm talking about is to apply some legal changes to add some value. I kind of touched on it last time out, but you could extend the lease, you can um, get a a share of the freehold. You can even split title of a property, let's say into smaller units such as flats. They're all legal solutions. And sometimes you don't need to do much more than move paper around to be able to actually increase the value. I remember um, I bought a property a while ago, and uh, it had a, a, a short remaining lease term available. And, and I don't know if you do know, but the statutory process for extending the lease, uh, you're not allowed to apply to do that uh, under the statutory process until you've owned the property for two years. You can you can negotiate on a voluntary basis with the freeholder to extend it sooner, but of course, you know the freeholder owns all um, holds all the cards rather. If uh, if you go in after say three months and say I'd like to extend the the lease on this short lease property, they can kind of they know that you you have to wait two years to go for the statutory process, so they can kind of ask for whatever they want if you like in terms of uh, extending the lease. So um, whereas with the statutory process, it needs to be you know pushed through in a relatively short period of time. It's typically about six months if uh, if there's not a cooperative freeholder, let's say, um, um, so you can move in quicker now. One of the solutions is to ask the existing owner to start the lease extension process before you actually take legal ownership, and therefore you can reduce the two-year statutory wait period. And uh, this is exactly what I did on one of my purchases uh, a little while ago, um, and again, I asked the current owner if they would uh, start the, uh, the statutory process for lease extension, and therefore I could step into their shoes, so to speak, once I bought the property, didn't have to wait two years, and we managed to get the um, the freeholder to agree to a reasonable price to extend the lease uh, much sooner than having to wait two years, obviously. So it was just pushing paper, a bit of negotiation. Um, you have to sort of be a little bit careful because if you give the current owner the idea, then they'll probably recognize that maybe the value of the property is higher than they think it is with a short lease. So you, you know, have to play a little bit of poker. But that's an example of uh, a legal gain, let's say. And the final one, number ten, is uh, is planning really. But I could add to that permitted development rights. Of course, there's a lot of lot of talk at the moment about planning gain and permitted development rights and the choose, uh, change of uh, planning rules and regulations, which uh, are being talked about right now. You know, building a couple of stories above um, an existing unit, for example, is uh, is now permitted development. So there's a number of things we can do here. Obviously, uh, we can build, we can extend, we can go up, um, we can change the use. There's a number of different angles that we can play. And again, we often what we're doing is we're trying to sort of, you know, cut, cut, slice and dice, if you like, a property to get a higher valuation with smaller number of units, uh, change the use, uh, develop all of that stuff. So, um, but again, it can be just a paper exercise. Uh, Planning uplift is uh, is a little sub industry really. Finding a property where you can uh, get planning uplift, and you don't even need to actually build it out and do the development. You can literally just sell it on with that increased value. So um, there we go. There's uh, there's a list of ten, and uh, I kind of made a little note to myself. And in fact, I might come back to this. Well, I will come back to this. I know I will. Uh, And that's always to have uh, this phrase in mind, which is how can I add value. So whenever you're looking at a property, always ask how can I add value. And there's two parts of this question. How can I add value now? And how could I potentially add value later? Now, hold that thought, because I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But uh, I did say that I wanted to just run past this uh, idea of return on works investment. And this is really a, a simple concept. So lots so of people look at the, the uplift in a value so you take a property let's say it's 100,000 you you're going to do a 20,000 refurb and then you want to get the end value of you know let's say 140 just to pick a number it's quite handy because it kind of works with one of my rules of thumb if you like so you turn you take it from 100 it's going to be worth uh, 140 when it's done maybe the work that you're going to have done to it is 20,000 and so you've got the the total you know you've got the cost of the works there which is 20,000 on 100,000 or 20% in other words. Um, but you've got the uplifting value, which is 40000 on 100000 which is 40%. And of course, you've got that £20,000 profit, which is just under uh, 20% uh, you know, profit on cost as well. So there's a couple of metrics there. Hard to get over on the podcast, I know. But here's the one I really wanted to focus on with return on works investment. And that's this. Just quantify only the, the work side of it. So in that example, it was £20,000, um, which was the cost of the Improvement Works. I've just made up this as an example. So, you know, it's not a real case, but I I, I, I was looking back actually over my notes. And um, I think it was five years ago that I shared a blog post on the Property Voice uh, website where I outlined my, my thinking, if you like, and my strategy in terms of return on works investment. And uh, there's a few examples there. And I'd I'd recounted, if you like, the last five projects that I did. And pretty much all of them were well in excess of 200% uh, return on works investment. So in the example I gave you, it was 20,000 was the cost of works. And then the end value was 140,000. So um, what I'd actually done is I'd uplifted the the value from 100 to 140 or 40,000 pounds. I'd spent 20,000 pounds doing it. So, my return on investment was 200%, i.e., um, 40,000 on an investment of 20,000. So, we always look at the return on works investment. So, you look at the profit on total cost, but also the specific question, which is return on works investment. And I always find that's quite handy because it can help you be a little bit more disciplined in terms of the refurbishment or the updating or the extension that you might be planning. And if you can carve it out into separate items, then you can actually try and work out for yourself. Well, if I actually do um, replace the electrics, what kind of value uplift am I likely to get from that? Whereas if I just put a bit of paint on the walls, what kind of value uplift am I likely to get from that? And so on and so forth. You can kind of help you to cherry pick, if you like, the the best you know uh, works that you could undertake on the project to get your best bang from your book, um, so to speak. So that's I uh, just wanted to run you by that. Maybe I'll put in the, the link to the return on works investment post from five years ago, just so you can have a quick look and a refresh if you haven't been following me for that long, uh, or you might have forgotten anyway. So I'll, I'll maybe put that in the show notes for you to refer back to. Okay, so we've covered the, uh, the, the 10 ways to add value. We've also covered the return on works investment. So really, all I wanted to do now was kind of was finished with what I call the three R's. Um, now, uh, right now, we've been talking primarily about um, a new property. So this is a new property that perhaps we've uh, identified. We're doing our desktop appraisal. Uh, we're costing out and scoping out our, our works. We're working out what the value uplift will be. And we're going to decide if that's a project we're going to do or not. Of course, we're going to decide if it's going to be a flip or a, or a BRR style project. Obviously, I'm talking about the lower end here. At the higher end, you've got conversion and development projects uh, and whether you're going to sell them or whether you're going to retain them. But essentially, you're just going for this thought process. You're working out the uh, the costs and scoping out what works need to be done. You're benchmarking against other properties in the, in the local area to see what the value is going to look like. And do a quick test on return on works investment. That's all well and good. And, you know, as, uh, it should be a discipline that we all do. Uh, naturally, almost, you know, I just look at photographs of listings now and I just mentally tot up what, uh, what needs doing and what, will, you know, what the cost will be. And then uh, I can compare it to um, comparables nearby to see what the value add might be. So it kind of becomes second nature. But that's, that's, that's new properties. But what I wanted to come back to here was also looking at our existing portfolio. And I don't know about you, but um, with me, I I look at my existing portfolio, my existing individual properties regularly. So at least once a year, which is tax return time. But equally, I look at my properties for other key events. Key events would be things like uh, a remortgage, um, a change of tenancy, uh, those sorts of things. So you you probably look at the individual property on, on a change of tenancy, for argument's sake. Um, whereas you look at your entire portfolio for you know, the tax return uh, submission. And what I'm doing there is I'm looking at my equity position and I'm looking at my net profit, uh, rental profit, and I'm calculating return on equity. Now, in property, we get, we get a little bit hung up on return on investment uh, going into the deal. Um, we call it return on investment, really a better name for it should be return on capital employed or return on cash investment. But I don't want to get too hung up on that. I think if we use the term return on um, um, investment rather, ROI, we kind of know what we're talking about. But once we've owned the property for a period of time, we should see some capital appreciation. We therefore should see some equity that's growing in our property, regardless of the strategy, whether it's buy to let or BRR, we should see our equity start to grow. And uh, we should also see rental profits start to grow as well. We should get some rent increases over time. Now, house prices and rent increases, they don't track each other in a linear fashion, typically. Uh, House prices tend to go up more with wage inflation. Uh, Did I say house prices? I meant rental rental income sorry rentals rents tend to track uh wage affordability house prices tend to um track you know general affordability i suppose and especially um in money being pumped into the economy um so it's more of an economic indicator and um rents is probably tracking labor rates if you like or, or wage inflation don't know if that made sense hopefully it does But what I'm trying to say is they don't track 100% in a correlated fashion. So you get this kind of wave effect. A burst of house price growth, which is potentially followed sometime later by a burst in rental income growth. So you get this sort of lead and lag effect um, of house prices versus uh, rental growth. So you've got to keep an eye on that because, you know, you could take a decision at one point in time, and maybe just a short time later, it could catch up or reverse because, you know, rents catch up with house prices or vice versa. But long story short, um, looking at your existing property, I apply what I call the three R's approach. And what I'm really doing is I'm asking questions. And uh, the questions are, can this property be repurposed in some way? Repurposed means can it be changed? Could I convert it from a single let to um, service accommodation? Is an example of how it could be repurposed. So that's the first R. The second R is could I realize greater value add? And if you remember earlier on, I talked about always look for ways to add value to a property, both now and later. So here, for example, what I'm talking about is we might decide that we're going to do, let's say, a basic refurb on a property to get it rented in a a very short period of time. But we might have also identified that it could be ripe for an extension or a loft conversion at some point in the future. That's an example of what I'm talking about. So you're looking for the opportunity when you're going into the deal. Um, that you could potentially add value later on. And then later on comes, of course, and you think, well, now's the time. Maybe the ch- the tenant is left and, you know, now's the time to do that loft conversion. Maybe you've got a bit of extra cash lying around and you can afford to do the job. So you look at realizing greater value add. Um, an example that like I did recently that, you know, falls into this category is I had a property. In fact, I, there were two types of um are that I really deployed here. I repurposed it. So it was a single let and I repurposed it as, as um, service accommodation, short-term letting. And that increased the returns on that property just from doing that. But I also converted the garage. So I added the extra living space, usable living space by converting the garage and was able to actually boost the the profits on the service accommodation as a result of that. So there was two of the three R's in, uh, in operation bearing in mind, I already own that property. So this is not one I was going in to buy. This is one that was already in my portfolio, asking the question, um, can I apply the three R's here? And you're probably wondering what is the third one. And the third one is really, can the equity be redeployed in a more effective or efficient way somewhere else? And so really what I'm doing here is I I look at the return on equity. Uh, So that's my net rental profit as a percentage of the equity that's in the in the deal, there. So, and I'm deliberately choosing equity in this case with my own portfolio. So, when we go into the deal, we're looking at return on our cash investment. What is the physical pound notes that we put into that property? Um, you know, whether it's a buy to let on day one, it might be a BRR pro- project where we've refinanced and pulled out some of our capital uh, later on and we've left in uh, a portion of our capital but not not all of our capital. So that's that's on the, the beginning of the deal but as time goes by hopefully that property will go up in value and therefore the equity will grow. And so what I'm always looking at is well are the net profits, the rental profits still an effective return on my equity and not not ignoring the fact that I've got that lead and the lag that I talked about earlier between house price growth and uh, and rental growth, rental um, rates growth. I can't speak. I think I, know. I think you know what I'm talking about. Hopefully, so you've got that lead and lag effect, but you're looking at what is the return based on the equity. And I personally have a target. I have a KPI key performance indicator for my return on equity. And so I'm looking at my entire portfolio, I'm looking at individual assets in my portfolio and I'm asking myself the question, am I is that meeting my my re- minimum return expectations from an ROE or return on equity point of view. Now, it doesn't mean if it falls, you know, I use a red amber green sort of color code system. Um, so it, if it goes red, it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going, to, I'm going to do something about it immediately because I'm going to ask some clever questions. Then why is it red? Is it because of a you know, it's there's been a, a surge in house price growth in that particular location and there's been a lag in terms of rental rate increase, which is probably just about to catch up. So if they think it's going to catch up, I'll probably leave it or I'll monitor it for a period of time. Um, if it doesn't catch up or if I don't think it's going to catch up, perhaps, you know, rent, rental rates in the area are stagnant for whatever reason, I might decide to cash in and sell that property. Yes, there'll be transaction costs associated. Yes, there could be taxation. Uh, but if I could redeploy the, the equity that's invested at a much higher rate elsewhere, uh, because I, I invest in different investment locations, so I'm, I'm arbitraging geographically. Uh, in that sense. And that's exactly what I did, in fact, with the uh, property that I mentioned earlier on in in, in my my rambling. And I talked about that property that I spent four and a half thousand. uh, I've got a big uplift in the uh, immediate value. I refinanced it. But then I've had a surge in uh, capital growth over the last 10 years or so. Rents have gone up, but they have not gone up massively. So my ROE, return on equity, started to fall. It's a semi-rural location can't really see that rents are going to drive forward and pick up steam anytime soon. So what I've decided to do is sell. Yes, I'll pay a bit of tax. Yes, I'll incur a few transaction costs. But I'll be able to redeploy that equity in a, in a, you know, into a new property and get a better return elsewhere. I'm pretty convinced of that, and that's exactly what I did. So um, practice the three R's with your existing portfolio. So that can it be repurposed? Can you realise greater value add than there's already there? And can the equity be redeployed, or indeed should it be? So um, I tend to advise people who've got a portfolio to apply that kind of uh, strategy, if you like, to looking at the, uh, their own portfolio. There's a few simple metrics you can do. There's a few qualitative questions you can ask, a little bit of research, a little bit of asking of agents, and you should be able to get a decent picture there. So there we go. Um, I'll just rattle through it. The uh, 10 ways to add value through property. The return on works investment and the three R's of um, uh, your existing portfolio. Can it be repurposed? Can you realize greater value? And can the equity be redeployed? So, as always, the uh, show notes are going to be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. And if you want to talk about anything from today's show at all, you know, you can always reach me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. I'd be delighted to hear from you. But in the meantime, I guess all that's left to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's cha Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.